Welcome to the Athletics of Business, a podcast about how the traits and behaviors of elite athletes and remarkable business leaders frequently intersect. The real stories and hard lessons to help you level up your leadership and performance. Now your host, Ed Molitor. Welcome back to another episode of the Athletics of Business podcast. I am your host and CEO of the Molitor Group, Ed Molitor. And I am extremely fired up to bring you today's special guest, just a great person, a great man who's doing amazing things, John Denny. John has been a national executive sales and marketing recruiter for 21 and a half years, coming up here on 22, in the medical, diagnostic, pharmaceutical, and biotech industries. And he works with a leading national recruitment firm, Buckman, Enox, Cost, and Associates, which they were established in 1979. Now, as I mentioned, they specialize in medical device, medical diagnostics, pharmaceutical, and biotech sales and marketing executive search. It's really cool stuff. And they partner in finding talent for leading healthcare companies. Now, listen to these amazing companies, uh, such as Acadia Pharmaceuticals, who we had Mark Heidersbach from Acadia. And Mark is the senior national sales director. Uh, Mark was episode number 79, and it is phenomenal. Go check it out. Also, they partner with Allegren, Abvi, Ambry. Genetics, Amgen, Boston Scientific, Cardinal Health, Don Payne, Don Payne again, Jason Bay. Jason's been on the podcast twice here, Genentech, and many others. Okay, I think the list goes on and on. And prior to joining BEC, John spent over two years in accounting and finance recruitment for a leading staffing firm and four years in college university recruitment. He truly has a fascinating story, which we are going to jump into. In the last two decades, John has helped countless individuals in healthcare sales, marketing, and clinical roles, find employment opportunities that have been life-changing. And he has several current clients he helped early on in the careers, which is a direct reflection of the work he did with them in the initial stages of the relationship. As a matter of fact, one of the things we talk about in the podcast is how a dinner conversation at a client's awards event helped John understand the enormous impact he could have on the lives of the folks that he worked with on their next career choice and the folks that he placed. And that's where the whole mindset of moving from a transactional business to a transformational business really took place. John attributes his business acumen, strong work ethic, empathy, and connecting with individuals, which is so critical, from his competitive collegiate athletic background, where he played four years of college football at his alma mater, Ohio Northern University. Some couple other things we're going to talk about inside of this podcast, why humility is such a critical skill, and he shares stories and experiences and about the coaches that brought that to life in his world and lived uh, in such a humble way. We'll also talk about what really motivates people when they are evaluating new career opportunities. I found this to be really fascinating because we read a bunch of stuff, right? Everyone's kind of writing the same things just in different words, but to hear it directly from people that are in the arena, that are in the fight is pretty cool. John says one, something that he hears often from leaders in the executive world is that past performance is a measure a future success. And he really does a great job of talking into that. We also will talk about the different characteristics that top companies in the medical diagnostic, pharmaceutical, and biotech industries, we get really specific what they are looking for when they are hiring frontline and secondline leaders. And one other thing that we talk about that I think you'll love is why mental toughness is so critical in growing through adversity. There it is again, not going through adversity, but growing through adversity. Why mental toughness is so critical in growing through adversity and how those lessons help you persevere. Enjoy my conversation here with John Denny. John, thank you so much for joining us today on the Athletics of Business podcast. I, what a great story about how we got connected. I'm excited to have you here. We're going to have an amazing conversation. 
Yes. Hey, Ed, thank you very much for having me on board. And, uh, you know, this is awesome. It really unique to you know, reach out to you to say, hey, I heard a great podcast with a, a guy that I know very well, Mark Hattersbach, that I'm working with and has known for, gosh, 18, 19 years. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you saying, hey, let's do a podcast. I appreciate that. Well, we spent time. I mean, we, we sort of, you know, sent some notes back and forth after you commented on the podcast. And that was episode 79 with Mark Hattersbach. And that was a great episode. And it's funny how it works out, right? It's great how one relationship with solid people leads to more relationships with other solid people. And once we talked and once we connected, I'm like, I have to get John on. But you're in a world that I love. Um, I spent several years in the recruiting industry and in the recruiting space. And there's a lot of meaning behind why you do it, how you do it, and who you do it with. Share us with what you're doing now, John. Yeah. So Ed, I've been with the firm uh, Buckman, Enox, Cawson Associates. Sometimes we'll, we'll say BEC search to make it easier. Gosh, I started in January 5th of 1999, believe it or not. So I've been here over 21 years. You know, I got bored. I was a guy that, you know, out of college, I had this degree in art and uh, I thought I was going to be a teacher and a coach. I uh, realized real quickly that I don't know if, you know, teaching was what I wanted to do. I was probably because I observed at junior high and I thought, ah, these kids are bouncing off the walls. How do I do this? But I ended up, you know, my path, I started in college recruiting and then I ended up you know, wanting to get into sales, I uh, actually got my uh, resume to Buck Minox at the time. And, you know, Ted Koss talked to me as a recruiter and said, hey, you know, I don't have anything in, in healthcare right now, but I have this spot in staffing. And, and I don't know if I told you this part, but so I'm actually a product of Buck Minox. I was placed by BEC back then with a national um, staffing company. Now it's brand staff, but at the time it was Accountants Inc. And I, I cut my teeth in sales that way. And then probably two years later, I bumped into Ted at the grocery store and he said, hey, how are things going? I said, right. hey, they're going. And he said, well, why don't you come work for us? And uh, that's when it all started. So that started in January of uh, 1999. That's phenomenal. Tell us a little bit uh, about your group and, and what you do and mm-hmm. how, you know, who you do it with. BEC, we are founded you know, way back. Our, our focus is really pharmaceutical, medical device, and also medical diagnostics. Uh, we deal with biotech. You know, another uh, person you've had on, Jason Bay, we've known Jason for many years. He works with one of my colleagues, Kirsten Siegel, and you know, Jason's a phenomenal guy. And I've had a chance to, to talk with him over the years as well. But we place uh, high level, you know, talent. I mean, anywhere from frontline rep, you know, that's out there on the street working for a, you know, a top pharmacy company or medical device company. And they're, you know, folks that are out there every day talking to the end users. So they're dealing with the physician. We work with companies like Acadia, you know, that I'm working with right now in an expansion for leadership. You know, we were brought in really solely to help out with the leadership, you know, the front line as well as the second line. So you have the first and second line that we deal with. We also work with, you know, some of the top medical device companies. One of those is a company like Boston Scientific. Uh, I've worked with a company called Augmentix, which was acquired by Boston Scientific back in 2018, uh, 2019 era. And, um, you know, we really are brought in, we're true headhunters. We do direct recruitment. We find talent that typically these folks that are out there, you know, we're calling up out of the blue. Uh, they're not actively looking. A lot of them are passively looking. That's kind of the, what we say. And we say, hey, we've got a great opportunity, um, you know, with Acadia, for example. Have you heard of them? You know, no. Well, let me hear more and, you know, really pitch that and really have the ability to uh, change people's lives. And that's one of the things I, I think early on when I was a, a young recruiter, I, I was chasing the money, you know, making deals. Uh, you make placements, you, you get paid fees. But as I've grown in this, I think one of the, the exciting things that has become a career is that I, I really, the money's going to follow. You know, it's, it's really helping people. 
It's changing lives. I think in part of that, the, the question that I sent back, you know, I, I realized that probably in 2017, when I was invited out to a national sales meeting for a leading diagnostic company, actually up the road uh, from you uh, in, in Madison, uh, Exact Sciences, and we did a lot of the leadership and also uh, rep placement in 2013 through 2015 when they launched their product. Got invited out. Uh, I was sitting at a table. Uh, I'm in this, you know, this national meeting. I'll tell you what, Ed, it was cool. I, I got handshakes and hugs, high fives. I thought I had made it. I thought this is awesome. <laughs> but what really was the, the greatest thing that happened that day, a young lady that I placed twice in her career, I placed her in the industry of, of medical sales. And then I got a chance to um, place her as a leader with uh, Exact. She looked across the table. She got teary eyed. She said, John, I just realized that you changed my life. And it, I got the goosebumps and I got the. Yeah, I mean, that, that's unbelievable. I mean, that's, that's so yeah. moving. And that had to bring you back. And we haven't referenced this yet, but you played, you know, great football player. You played at Ohio mm-hmm. Northern. But that feeling right there had to put you in her shoes on the other side of the table when you reflect back on the impact, something we've talked about coaches have had in your life. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, it really, the parallel of that is, is right there. I mean, for me growing up, I was a kid out of Toledo. You know, my parents divorced when I was young. I was six years old. Didn't know my dad until later in life. And I think I mentioned I could be on some reality show, uh, but you well, know, it, specifically it, you said Jerry Springer. We'll find you a better one. Yeah, yeah, we'll find, find you a better one. You're worth <laughs> way more than Jerry's and, got to offer. Trust exactly. Uh, well, you know, but back then I thought, you know, as a kid, you, you know, oh, woe is me, and and you know, you didn't you didn't have any viewpoint other than your own viewpoint at that time going through something like that. And my mother worked hard. She was a teacher, educator. Third years as well in the Toledo public school system. You know, my grandmother helped raise us, and she was a, a German, you know, uh, lady. She was second generation German, and um, you know, for years, this is a funny one, Ed. She would call me Dumeraisel, and I thought it was terms of endearment. And I finally said, Graham, what does that mean? It's dumb donkey. Now it was the other <laughs> word, but anyway, yeah. So she was a great lady, and I uh, learned a lot from my, my grandmother as well. But coaches uh, in, in high school, dad wasn't around. You know, I really got into sports. I got into football because of the physicality of it. It gave me an outlet. It gave me, you know, something to be a part of, something to, you know, kind of build that. Plus the coaches, these were, these were great guys. Doug Newark, who played, I didn't know he played in the semi-pros or pro football till later in life. And I had no idea. He played for the Detroit Wheels. No idea. Dean Smilo, he, we call him Dean Smilo because he was the Dean. John Smilo is his real name. And he, um, was a military guy, played though as well in semi-pros. And I'll tell you what, and this is back in, in probably the era of, of you and, and your dad, you know, these coaches, you respected them. If you didn't respect them, you were running. And in other things, you know, it was, it was tough. <laughs> that um, you couldn't do today. But, but they do, you know, they, they loved you. And, and they, to this day, you know, I still would call any of those guys coach. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not calling them by their first name. They're the coach. Hey, coach. So Doesn't that's it important. kill you then? And then you hear these kids today, they'll call their coaches by their last name. Yeah. I'm like, aren't yeah. you missing something before? Aren't you missing like, you know, coach so-and-so? Yeah. It's, it's changed so much. And, and, you know, my son, I think I've taught him and you're going to teach your, your kids, your, your daughter, and your son this. I mean, you, you teach him about the respect and, and um, you know, and working hard and all the values of, of sports, you know, listening to your, your podcast that your dad did, you know, that was phenomenal to hear about the Catholic league and, you know, I grew up in the south side of Toledo, a little different than Chicago South, probably. But, you know, South Toledo was really, uh, you know, is probably middle class. You know, you, you worked uh, hard. You worked, you know, from 13 on. I mean, I washed dishes when I was 13. 
uh, under the table. You know, you're not allowed to do that nowadays. But, you know, I worked all my, all my life and I worked in the steel mill during college. And I mentioned this story, you know, I, I didn't know what a steel mill was, but walked in and, um, you know, really learned that they called me college boy. Hey, college kid, come over here. You know, I painted railings. I, I, uh, that was shoveling uh, the scale that fell off the billets, the caster, the heat would come down and uh, I could never gain any weight, you know, during the summer football <laughs> because I would sweat it all out and I would swing shift. We, that's what we did, you know, and, and, um, but that really, I think, you know, getting into that, you know, part of my life, I, I think that work ethic drive, th- there was no choice, you know, you, you had to work to help with expense, you know, single mom, you know, three kids, you know, that's how I grew up. Let's go back to your coaches and even the woman sitting at the table, though, because you know, one of the things I asked you, what's the most critical skill that people need to be successful, right? And you mentioned humility and you mentioned your coaches. Yeah. You didn't even know. You didn't even know that they played semi-pro. And you see that show up a lot of times with the most successful coaches and most successful leaders. They don't feel the need to talk about themselves, right? Because they have that sense yeah. of self-confidence and they, they're very humble. Can you talk into that a little bit? Yeah, I think, um, you know, reflecting back the, in, in kind of these thought-provoking questions that you, you have, you know, the sense of humility is a critical skill. I think one of the things I learned very, very on, uh, very early on is, you know, I, I thought I was the big shot. I was the kid in, in high school. You know, at the time, I think back then, 6'3", you know, 200 pounds or whatever I was, I, you know, that was a big kid for, mm-hmm. you know, in the, in the late 80s. And I excelled. I did very well. I was a co-captain. You know, I remember, you know, my colleague, my co-captain, uh, Tony Corey, he ended up playing baseball for Ohio State. And to this day, I mean, he's a very successful medical sales rep for one of the top orthopedic instrument companies out there. And, you know, so these are people that you surround yourself with. But, you know, the humility part came in more than likely was when I went to college. I got recruited uh, by a couple different Division three, Division two. I knew that if I was going to go D1, I probably wouldn't have to walk on like University of Toledo or Bowling Green. Uh, I wanted to play. And I thought, hey, the best way to play, you know, is get a chance to, to play more would go to a D3 pro. Mm-hmm. And uh, looked at a, a bunch, but I got recruited by Ohio Northern University. And Tom Kaskowski was my head coach. Dwight Montgomery, actually, I don't have him on that. I didn't write that down. But Dwight, who's now a very successful businessman here in Columbus, came to my high school, you know, came to my high school. I think I showed up and talked to me. I had an admissions counselor too that made a big impact in my life. And I'll tell you about that. I, I didn't write that in, but um, it, it was Mayor Darren Scott. Darren Scott was the admissions counselor from Ohio Northern. Um, he was a two or three time All-American wrestler. I was so impacted by him. I, I thought, I'm going to check this school out. Got recruited, did the overnight visit. And um, you know, Tom Kaskowski was definitely an influence. Coach Mike Meyer um, was an influence. I came from a, a long family of, of coaches in Greencastle, Indiana. I don't know if you know the, the Meyer family. DePaul, I think, is uh, yep. you know, where his dad coached. So Rent really immediately knew that this is the place I want to go to school. Got on board. Tom Kaskowski actually, and I think I mentioned this, uh, created the pistol offense. It, it was called different things, but he's known for that, the pistol one offense. And uh, anyway, the uh, humility came. I got to camp and uh, realized you know, here I am, co-captain, big deal in Toledo. You get to college and you know this. Mm-hmm. And everybody is bigger, faster, stronger. Right. And uh, I was behind a, a kid named Scott Hardings. Scott was a defensive end. I got recruited to be a defensive end. I thought that's what I'm going to play as a defensive end. I was a guard and defensive end in, in high school. 
he was six five. He came from St. Henry, and you know St. Henry they grow them big, and that's where <laughs> if you think Bobby Hoyne, you know uh, Jim Latchy, uh, but also his brother Jeff Harding's played in the pros. Jeff Harding's was a first round draft pick for the NFL back in '96, and I think he weighed 280, 290, something like that. So anyway, you know, I, I got really that sense of humility, which I think is a critical skill that you have to be humble. I think you have to be humble in your career, in your, in your family. Uh, you know, I think the, it's an important trait to have. I got knocked down a peg. I, I didn't, um, you know, I, I knew that, you know, I was frustrated and, and I wasn't, uh, whatever I tried to do, I couldn't gain the weight. I, you know, I, I was, I was fast. I was, you know, worked out all the time in the, in the weight room. And I thought I'm just going to outwork, you know, everybody. And, and I did do that to an extent. Uh, but then one of the things that happened, you know, I had an emotional problem with one of my coaches, Coach Ponks, uh, Rick Ponks, who's been a uh, high school coach in the Chicagoland market. And he said, John, he said, hey, you know, you'd be better suited, you know, maybe in a different role. And, and I think that's part of life, too. You know, you, you go into life, whether it's career, family, and you have a focus of what you think you're meant to do. And then, you know, it's happened. Changes happen, you know, adversity. And, and that's kind of what we're going through right now with, you know, the pandemic, obviously we're going through that and how you pivot to that, how you react. And so during that time, you know, they said, Hey, you know, Denny, we, we want you to move you over to offense and, and be a flanker. And I said, a flanker, what the heck's a flanker? Yeah. And, uh, you know, had no idea what a flanker was. I didn't even know how to position my feet or even stand, but it was a, it was a wide receiver at the time in our offense. Really what it was is like a tight end. I was put in not to catch pass, which I thought I was going to do, but to, to block and, and basically on sweeps, crack back on the linebacker. And I'll tell you what, Ed, it was one of the fun, you know, most fun uh, positions that I've ever did in, in a role. You know, you, at the time, you, these linebackers are, are coming out, you know, the mm-hmm. plays, they're following the play. They don't tell me. You crack down and you, you just knock them on their butt. And, and it was one of the, the most fun positions. And, and I thought. Man, why did I play this all yeah. my life? And, yeah. We're, um, yeah. So anyway. Well, yeah. and you, you just said something, and I, I was just ready to ask you about being invaluable without being most valuable, and how you learned that mm-hmm. lesson, and that drove your humility. But I want to, I want to ask you something different. We'll get back to that. Sure. You said something about the flanker, and you identified your role, and you fell in love with your role because you and I both know mm-hmm. that how much a person embraces their role and executes on their role is the true value they bring to an organization, a team, what have you, right? So as you work through these roles that you present to people, right? How do you talk, Absolutely. How do you talk through those things and show them the value? And not only with your candidates, okay, but also the people inside your organization. Absolutely. Well, I, I think, you know, the value um, as you're talking to an individual the first time that you've met, you know, and they don't know who you are. They might have heard of your firm, your, you know, your brand, but you're really, you're trying to get to know these individuals. And, uh, you know, really talk to them about their career. What are you looking for? It, and, and sometimes in, in the early days of my career, I thought it was always they want to make a move for money. Money is a motivator for a lot of folks in sales. I mean, let's face it. You know, if you're in sales, you, you want to make a good living. And, and that early on in my career, I thought, oh, you know, if you've got $10,000 more for a base salary or a total comp, they're going to move. Um, that's not what really motivates people. I, I learned really, it, there's a lot of factors. They want to be a part of a team of a culture. You know, it could be a culture of winning, you know, for example, in sports, but a, you know, a great sales culture, a great environment where they, they really give back to their employees. So it, it's not always about the money. It's about the intangibles. You know, it, it could be an equity stake within the organization that you really 
are a part of that company and have the ability to, you know, really own it. And that's something that you see a lot in, in the companies that we work with. They're, a lot of them are publicly traded and, you know, that's part of the, the process. How significant do you find it is for people as they look at new roles, for them to really see the value that they can add in that role and to know that they're going to be an important person, an important piece of the puzzle to where they, they are looking to move to? Yeah, well, a good, a good example, I mean, this, this project we're working on right now with Mark Hattersbach's team, you know, they're looking for leaders. They're looking for leaders, not managers, if that makes any sense. And mm-hmm. they want folks that have, it's not necessarily the disease state, you know, the therapeutic. It's more about, are they, do they have an executive presence? Can they lead others? Servant leadership, like, you know, we, we talk about, that's really what Mark's looking for. Uh, strategic agility, he mentioned that couple of times. Yeah. You know, it's, it's great. And, and I think it's, I think of the V cuts in, in basketball, I mean, strategic agility, but you know, he, he's been, you know, very good to work with. And, and obviously I've had a lot of history with Mark Hattersbach with Acadia, but they, you know, as you, as you taught the individuals, they're looking for that. If they're in a company, they're not looking their heads down, they're doing their job. You let them know about an opportunity. What I've found, it's not, not just the part, it's, you know, the ability they can come over and build something create something, lead others. That's what these folks are looking for right now. And that's huge because you and I have both had, and we both understand the significant impact a coach can have on a person's life mm-hmm. and, and in the athletic world, but also in the business world. How important is it for a coach to have the ability to see in others what they might not see in themselves? And how have you seen that show up in some of the amazing organizations you've placed folks at? Yeah. So seeing others, yeah, the, the coach in them. In other words, you and I yeah. both know, like, we, we've had the coach like, dang it, Denny, you know, I think you're better, than, you're better than you think you are, you know, stuff like that. Or I, I know you have the ability to do this, you know, run the 10,000 sprint or whatever it is. But, yeah. but in other words, they might believe in you more than you believe in yourself. They might see something that you don't see in yourself. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and, and, you know, we talked about that a little bit. I think, you know, when you're young and playing sports, you know, the coaches, they obviously see something in, in each kid. And you have probably a good example throughout your career that you coached kids, saw something in them. You know, same thing in, in business. When you look at um, a leader that's hiring their team, their sales reps out there in the field, it's just like a sport. I mean, it's just like when you're picking your point guard or your forwards or, you know, or even in football, you know, who's going to be on the line? Who are the, you know, the backs? Who's the, you know, the receivers? That's what these companies are looking for. They, and a lot of times, Ed, they'll say, I'm looking to hire the best athlete. It's amazing how many times I've heard that sure. over the years. And what they mean by that, they want somebody that has the ability to you know, be able to you know, multitask, be someone that you know, might come into a, um, an organization where they've had a track record of success. Mm-hmm. You, know, it's not, you hear this a lot too, past performance is a measure of future success. I hear a lot by leaders. Past performance is a measure of future success. There is a lot to that. If you, what do you mean? By you that? Have, Can you walk us through that a little bit? Yeah. So if you have an individual, whether it's an athlete or even a um, you know a salesperson for what I deal with, you know a lot of sales folks, if they have been successful in their career, if they have you know led top performance with the organization, you've hit their quota. They've you know hit presence clubs. They've been rookie of the year. There's a highly likelihood that they're going to do that again. They're not going to settle because as an athlete, you have this competitive spirit that you constantly want to better yourself. Uh, and I think you and I, and, and you know, we, we talked about 
how do you better yourself? Everybody wants to get better in, in some fashion of their life. You know, I think right now with COVID, it, it's allowed, um, you know, COVID-19, you know, step back, be with family, you know, have the ability to, you know, I have, I've had a chance to during COVID, uh, we're back in the office now, but fortunately here in Ohio, which is, which is great. But during, you know, March and April, um, I had a chance to actually have lunch with my son, who's, uh, you know, an 18 year old going off to college. And we talked about that's life. That's so cool. And, yeah. And, so cool. you know, otherwise I wouldn't see him. He's working now and, and that type of thing. Anyway, I, past performance is a measure of future success. Getting back to that. These clients that I work with, they want to hire the best talent. They want to hire someone that can move the needle, uh, someone that has the ability to really, you know, market a product, a therapy, you know, or a service or a device that really can impact lives. And, and that's in, in healthcare sales recruiting is what we do. We are placing, you know, reps that are on the front line. These are first line reps or first line leaders. We deal with second line leaders as well, but they are getting the product in front of the customers, which are the physicians, the surgeons, the pathology labs, uh, whatever it may be. And the products that these folks sell are making a difference. In Acadia's case, they are filing a, you know, brand new product for dementia, um, hallucinations and delusion. There's nothing on the market for it yet. And, you know, it's a unmet need. So working with clients like Acadia or working with clients that I'm working with another company right now that I'm just getting on board with in robotics uh, and device in, in prostate cancer in BPH. It's, it's just unique. I mean, these are unique companies that need the top talent that can go out there and influence, but have the, you know, the smart, have the, you know, the, the track record that if you hire them, they're going to be successful and they're going to come over to our company and they're going to be a top performer. They're going to be the rookie of the year. They're going to be you know, the P club winners. And they're going to be consistent. And they're going to be consistent. Uh, just like in, you know, when you think of practicing um, in sports, basketball, football, you know, I remember the days, you know, down on the dew grass in the morning at, at college, it's August and it's 95 degrees in Ada, Ohio. There's nothing, you know, Ada is in the middle of the cornfields. There's nothing there except for, it's where they would make a Wilson football. That's where the Wilson ball factory is. Believe it or not. Story. Yeah. And, you know, between Finley and Lima, Ohio. So if you want to have fun, you got to go to those two places because there's nothing to do in Ada. Um, Except back when I was, oh yeah, they make balls. Yeah. And uh, you, yeah, and they today, I mean, there's still ladies that sit there and make footballs. They sew them together by hand. That's insane. I, I don't think it's automated. I, I you know, maybe the punching of the, the leather, but it is uh, the neatest thing. So if you ever get a chance, take a tour of the, the I, I, I will. I need to visit. <laughs> I, need to visit. Hey, I want to go back to something. You said past performance is a measure of future success. Yeah. And all the way to the start on podcast number one, it was actually podcast number two. My first guest though, uh, with Porter Moser was right after they won the, or went to the final four. And we talked about recruiting winners, right? And we, talked, yeah. you know, go and get people from winning programs that know how to win. And one of the things I, I really looked at when I was coaching college basketball and then when I was in your industry as well, in the recruiting industry, and I talk about this a lot, we always want to know if we can win with somebody. Like, are they a winner? Can I win with them? But one of the things people seem to overlook about winners is that you can also lose with them. Like I used to like, I used to want to know about someone's character and okay, will it be possible that he and I struggle together, that we're going to go through a grind in the season and can we lose together? How much does that show up when you're working with candidates? You know, it, it, and I think about it in my career, um, you know, you, you have to have that mental toughness. You know, in sales in general, uh, there are a lot of wins and there's a lot of losses in, in sales. 
when these folks go out there, if they're selling a product in the market, you know, they usually have competitors. And, and a lot of the companies we place individuals with, they'll have two to three competitors out there that they've got to go out there and compete with. Uh, you'll find in healthcare, there are a lot of you know, I think we still think we're athletes, but ex-athletes, right? Uh, corporate still, corporate still, athletes now. We can still hang, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm not going to go play football tomorrow. But I, uh, you know, if I'm going to, you know, run or, or bike or whatever, I'll do that. But uh, there's that athletic component where uh, you have to have mental toughness. You're going to, you know, you're going to win some accounts. You're going to lose some accounts. And and what do you learn from, you know, your losses? You know, you think about sports. You learn maybe next time. You know, if I'm going to call a decision maker, here's what I've got to do. You know, I've got to, um, you know, maybe, maybe my approach is, is wrong. I'm a little bit aggressive. Maybe I got to pull back. Maybe, you know, the person at the front desk, um, you know, get to know them, uh, you know, a little bit more. Know, hey, I recognize that they're wearing Cubs uh, a golf shirt. Well, wait a minute, you know, let's bless let's you for them. saying the Cubs too, by the way, <laughs> and not saying the White Sox. Yeah, I thought, well, I was going to say that. And I thought, you know, Cubs, we'll go that way. I grew up, um, you know, a, in Toledo. You went to Detroit, Sparky Anderson days. Yes. You went to, I was a Tigers fan. Yeah, so, um, and, and I used to tell people I was a Lions fan uh, back then. They're like, oh my gosh, but you can, you can say that now, but yeah. I'm not a Browns fan and, and not really a Bengals fan. So, okay. you know, anyway, but going back, you know, I, I think the uh, perseverance of, of an athlete, you see that a lot in sales especially in healthcare, you have to have that grit, that grind. Uh, in, in our space as recruiters, you know, we're commission oriented. Uh, we don't get pay, paid right. typically. Contingency recruitment, you don't get paid from place. And, and it's a tough to take. You know, you can do your job right. Um, we're dealing with human beings. I and mean, you dealt with placement staffing. Uh, you never know what's going to happen. You know, there could be uh, an individual say they're in, they're in all the way through. And at the end, they say, you know what? I've decided not to take the position. Or Hey, you know what? Talk to my spouse. They they've decided that maybe this isn't a good fit for me. So one of the things I do do in that that same breath, if I have a candidate I'm working with, I'll ask him, Hey, have you talked to your family about it? What have you thought about you know making this move? How will it impact your family? You know, have you thought about the travel? So there's a lot of that that counseling as a recruiter that comes in. If you're a good recruiter, you really got to know your your client and you got to know your candidate very well. And you know, really, it's a matchmaking thing and. Uh, we talked about blind dates. I mean, that's really what we do. We do a lot of, you know, now with virtual, it's a lot different because it's not blind. But right. back in, in old school recruiting, you really would call somebody up. Um, we didn't have LinkedIn. We didn't have the list and so forth. You really would identify, you know, the talent. You'd find out, okay, who are the top players within those sales organizations that we could reach out to and find. And there's a lot of networking in what we do as well. You know, you think about it and you're, you're probably the same. Um, and I've told my son going off to college, surround yourself with successful people and surround yourself with very good friends. Uh, you have to have a core group of individuals that you can lean on and they'll lean on you. That's important in recruiting. Networking for me is, is probably, I would say probably at least 50% of the people I place is through networking. It's not just posting an ad. I mean, we are um, different in that sense. We're traditional in a way that we um, will reach out as direct recruiters. We work with companies from some of the top uh, medical device companies, like I mentioned, to you know the top pharma. And then we work with companies that nobody's ever heard of. There's a company uh, out there that um, deals with epilepsy, and we helped launch their first sales force. And you know, I've watched their stock grow, and it's yeah. been a lot of fun. Um, it's got to be pretty rewarding, too, I imagine. Yeah, and, and I just had, I, I saw that one of the individuals I work with, a, a leader, just got a, a spot promoted up to a second line leader. And I, I, I just, you know, I pinged him on LinkedIn. I said, Hey, Jordan, 
congrats, you know, success of getting promoted. And he wrote back something I, and I saw it. I didn't read it thorough because I wanted to hop on this cast with you. But, um, you know, he said, you made an impact with my team. That's it. Yeah. That's it right yeah. there. Isn't that it? That is it. Right. Yes. <laughs> that, that is it right there. You know, and, and so networking is a big piece of the puzzle for you. 50% of your placements are through networking, right? You answer the phone. Someone's going to tell you about someone. They're going to refer someone to what are the things that you want to hear? What are the things that you're looking to hear about somebody? Yeah, you know, if, if somebody's referring, especially a leader, for example, and, and what I'm doing right now, you know, with a project that I have, I want to know, you know, how do you know them? Did you work with them before? What can you say about their leadership? You know, what can you say about their, their track record? You know, how do you know them? And number one, that's, that's usually the first thing that comes out of my mouth. Secondly, I will um, say, hey, you know, is this somebody you could put me in contact with? Could you reach out to them and let them know that I'm looking to talk with them? And that normally gets the, you know, the introduction, gets the start. Um, and I'll tell you, it, it's so why I was impressed with what you do at is that, you know, coming from being a coach, you're still coaching. So I, your dad did it for 42 years. You're still coaching, even though you may not be on the on the floor. That's what you're doing, and and I think athletics really. I look at it. I, one of the things I, I do a lot with uh, prospective candidates, if I see that they've played a sport, I instantly have a connection with them. If it's um, tennis or you know something totally out of what I did, I can relate, and I think relating with others is really important for my business. It, it, throughout the years, it, it's made an impact. What what drew me to come to Buckman Enox Costs and Associates? Ted Koss uh, is a partner here. Steve Enox is the um, you know really the the founder. Both of these gentlemen are like myself. They they came from blue collar mentality. Ted grew up in the valley. You know the steel power plant. He worked at a power plant in the summer. You know coal for AEP. And you know we have stories very similar. Steve worked in a steel mill in Indiana uh, is where he grew up. Went to Indiana um, U. You know, he was a Bobby Knight fan all the way through, man. And these gentlemen I, I met and I knew instantly that I want to be a part of this. They've made an impact. You know, I, I think as mentors, they've been mentors for me as well. And I, I've seen the success that both of them have had. Uh, Steve, for sure. I mean, he started the business back then with, with nothing uh, and, and built the business up. It's an environment that, uh, you know, I think I've excelled in um, because these folks, we relate. And I think we're athletes in what we do and athletes in the business sense. You know, we strive to do better. We strive to uh, constantly improve, you know, whether it's technology that we can use in recruiting, whether it's the ability to, you know, take on projects where we can really show our style and influence on, on bringing in top talent. And I would treat it like in sports when you're recruiting a top player, we're doing the same thing. We're trying to identify those best players to bring into a business, you know, to work for somebody like a Jason Bay or a Mark Heidersbach. We're looking for that talent that they can make a difference, you know, in their culture. And it could be, you know, as little as a culture thing, or they really want that, um, that background because they don't have somebody with that skill set. They want to bring them onto their team. And a lot of, a lot of coaches probably, and, and even leaders in healthcare, sales leaders, they want to hire diversity in their team. And that is more than, um, it's skills. It's lots of different things. It's the ability to have people that are different than them that can bring some influence in. A lot of teams now that you see in healthcare, they're looking for that. They don't want to have everybody, you know, cut out of the same cloth. They don't want everybody from the same company that comes over to their patient. They want to have different things involved. And uh, I think what we're successful to do with our firm, with BEC or Buckman Enox Costs and Associates, we have a diversity in terms of how we recruit. We're, we're not just pharmaceutical recruiters. 
We're not just medical device recruiters. We deal with all of that. So we have, I think, a little bit of a broader sense of, of talking to different folks in different industries, mm-hmm. you know, that in healthcare that really um, make us diverse in the, in the type of individuals we can bring on board for these organizations. And you, you just said something as we talk about diversity, I was going to ask you, I was waiting to ask, how do you inside of your organization, and this is what championship teams do, this is what successful organizations do, how do you make each other better? Right. Because like you said, you all do things in a different way, in different spaces, so to speak. How do you complement each other and, and make each other better? Yeah. Well, I think in our team here, we collaborate. It's funny. We all have an open door. Um, there are many that I'll, I'll go to, uh, you know, Ted with an open door. I'll even talk to Greg um, Horak, who's on the team here, is managing you know, the associate recruiters. Mm-hmm. It's really neat because even though you've been doing this for 21 and a half years like myself, I got that sense of humility. We'll go back to humility mm-hmm. or, or, you know, I think you talk about vulnerability um, with where you, you know, your viewpoints and I'm not the guy that knows everything. I'm going to go and, and get direction and get help. Hey, I've got this situation happen with a candidate. What do you think? You know, what would you do in this situation? So we're very collaborative in that, that sense. And I think diversity, we do bring in the ability to bring different candidates. I think one of the things, if you talk to Mark or Jason or any of the, the folks that I've worked with, I'm able to bring them candidates that they might not even think about and actually say, hey, think about this. Here's why you want to talk to this individual. Mm-hmm. Hey, I know on paper, this is what the resume looks like, but here's what I found out about them. And a lot of times, uh, and it goes back to the stories of maybe growing up or what did they persevere through or what adversities did they have in their life that have made them who they are? So we as recruiters, and you probably did this in, in your world too, you really get to know the stories of these individuals. And I think if you're dealing with a candidate, it's one of the biggest steps in their life. Think about this. And I tell people this, this is an emotional thing when you change jobs. You know, when you go on and and make a move from a very stable environment, could be a top medical company, and you make a move to a company, it's an emotional thing that when you're making that, that change, it's like getting married or having a kid. It's a pretty big deal, right? There's a lot of an emotional thing that it's not just making a move. They have to think about that, making that move. Why do they want to do it? What is that going to do for them in their career, in their life, financially, uh, family? So there's all those things that, that uh, we talk about as, as recruiters that it's not just, uh, and I tell people this, a lot of times I'll get a call from a new client and they'll say, hey, can you get me somebody you know, tomorrow? Well, no, it's going to take a while because I want to get to know those candidates we're talking to. And if you want us to do a job, we've got to know those individuals and, and really get to know what makes them tick, find out about their past performance, and see if they're going to be a fit for your culture and your team. You know, again, we, we do lots of different things with what we do as recruiters. In, in the past, people would say headhunters. You know, is that a bad word? Not really. I, I'm okay with it. We find people for jobs, and we're going to talk to everybody out there that we feel would be the best fit. And then identifying top talent, and you probably have this in coaching when you did this, and your dad, for sure. How do you know who's a good player to bring on your team? Where do you need that individual? What skills do you need for your team? That's what we find. You know, it's, it's a lot of fun, uh, and I've enjoyed it over the years. And, and speaking of identifying top talent, we know when you drive, you know, you drive a culture worth fighting for, right? You're going to attract the top talent. You're going to retain the top talents. You're going to create this environment where you develop your bench. But there's so much out there now, right? As we deal with the COVID-19, yeah. we deal with this awful unemployment rate. We deal with these people whose world have been turned upside down. 
What are some of the compensating factors, some of the game changers in leaders as you look for them to put them against certain positions that, hey, you know, a pool of three just went to a pool of 20. Yeah. How do, how do I separate, how do I separate the good from the greats and, and figure out which yeah. ones I'm going to put against? Because you can't throw all twenty against them. Yeah. Well, that's a great question. I, I think if it depends on you know if I position it towards a uh, maybe a listener that might be a candidate you know looking for a job you know if they're out there trying to separate themselves from the twenty thirty people that have maybe the same skills that they have really look at your background reflect back to your background really um, think through some of the parallels to that position you're applying for. For example, if you're looking into a leadership position in healthcare, what type of company you're interviewing with? Do you have some experience that maybe that, you know, it's not on the job description, but you have something to add value for clients uh, that we work with. A lot of times they want um, specific backgrounds. You know, they want somebody with specialty buy and bill experience in pharma. You always hear that. Um, they want somebody that understands the access points within the pharmacies, within the hospital setting. Sometimes an individual, you know, once you're out in a lot of what's happened too in, in healthcare, Ed, is some folks, it's the first time in their life, their career, they've found that they're downsized and they've never dealt with it before. It's frustrating, but the emotion first is scary. If they were anxious, and, and a lot of times I talk to folks, I say, look, think about your strengths, you know, go through, do a, you know, do kind of a fact finding, get a piece of paper and just like I tell anybody pros and cons, you know, what pros and cons do you have? Use that to separate yourself from an individual. What successes have you had? What areas uh, of skills could you bring to that client? Think about really bragging about yourself for the first time. And, and that's in sales. There's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of guys and gals that, you know, they're very competent. We're competent right. people. But you have to have the ability to brag in an interview about yourself in a good way that's showing your skill set, showing your value, and that's going to be important. Well, it's identifying the reality of who you are and what you've done and what you're capable exactly. of doing, you know. Mm-hmm. So in everything you speak to, right, reflecting back, identifying your strengths, the pros and cons, and, and what have you. Earlier, we talked about, so to speak, watching your game film. It all speaks to self-awareness. Can you talk a little bit about how significant? self-awareness, the level of self-awareness is for those folks that you put into leadership positions and really for everybody, yeah. but let's speak specifically to those yeah, self positions. Absolutely. And, and you know, the big thing that's been the last probably what, five years and, and maybe longer, and you deal with it, uh, is EQ, you know, emotional intelligence. In, in sports growing up, you didn't know, it wasn't called EQ, right? It's the awareness, situational awareness, knowing in sports, when the coach said, hey, you got to do this this way, and you didn't, you'd find out real quickly that you, you screwed up. And back in the day, I think they even kicked you, <laughs> kicked you right in the butt and said, hey, they were full. You know, it wasn't uh, like it is now. In leaders, though, situational awareness is that you, you have to find an individual that understands that servant leadership. How did they get to be, you know, the presence club leader? When I talk to them and they tell me how they did it, and it's more about we as a team did this. Again, it's as a leader, not an individual contributor we did this. Um, we were able to accomplish this. I've had three or four individuals on my team, you know, two went to President's Club trip, uh, two, um, you know, one became Rookie of the Year, one also became, you know, a trainer within the region. I want to find that out because that tells me that they um, have situational awareness about their team and about themselves, that it's not about, you know, me, it's about we. And that's something that I look for in leaders. Uh, individual contributors are a little different. If you're looking for a device rep in the OR, you want somebody that is what have you done, and and that's important. You know, I was able to launch a new product to 
prostate cancer. Here's what I was able to do in the first year of my uh, employment there. So situational awareness, there's different things that, that you can think of, but EQ goes back to emotional intelligence is that um, just understanding your environment, understanding you know the people around you. And I don't know, a lot of it for me, it's values. If you know, I always empathize with the candidate, I empathize with the individuals I'm working with. And again, I, I, I think the humility that I learned early on in life learning how to maneuver without a, a father figure around for a while. You know, I've gotten to know my dad now um, since my late 20s after I, I was married through a really unique story of how that all happened. But I could say going back to, um, and I'm, I'm totally going on a tangent here, but going back to like coaches, how would be influenced? I think they influenced me on situational awareness and I didn't even know of how to be who I am. And, you know, I think a great uh, leader or a great uh, professional that's out there you have to have that uh, emotional awareness or emotional, even in leadership, for sure. I mean, you have to know how to motivate. And I think your, your podcast with your dad, they talk about motivating players. Not everybody is coached the same way. I think he said, if I remember right. Yep, absolutely. You're going to coach everybody, but each individual might need a different type of, of coaching based upon that individual. I think that goes back to situational awareness, I believe. And, and that speaks right to something I, I can't believe we haven't touched on, and in, in, in especially in your space, but authentic leadership and authenticity. And I, yes. and I like to break the authenticity down into honesty, integrity, and vulnerability. And that, that has to be a little bit of a challenge for a candidate to sit in front of one of your clients and say, here's how I'm authentic. Here's where my integrity comes into play, right? Here's how my execution and my behaviors have, are aligned with my values and what I accomplish at company A, and that's how I'll do it at company B. How significant is that authenticity piece? Absolutely. People have to come across, and they're looking for a job. And again, we're, we're talking sales and marketing is really what we, we focus in. If they come across fake, they're not going to get the job. They, they have to be authentic. That's what these leaders that I place individuals with want. They find people that are authentic in the way that they carry themselves, authentic and giving uh, examples of successes they've had. Being yourself and, and knowing where you came, I, I, I go back to that too. I think for life, one of my goals is, you know, I'm always going to know where I came from. And I know, you know, the struggles in, in, in family growing up and then getting through sports and college. And, you know, and there were times I wanted to quit. Believe me, um, I think we all were there, but I persevered. And I think it's made me a, a better individual. I think that, that may answer where you're going there. Well, it does. And, and you touched on values, right? We keep going back to values and how important that is. And as we wind down here, before I ask you the last question, sure. I want to talk about one of the great things that you are involved with, Pelotonia. Can we, yes. talk, can we talk, <laughs> yes. share, share that with our yeah. listeners? Everything we're about to share okay. is going to be in the show notes. The links will have everything there. I will have your fundraising link in the show notes. As, as, okay. Until, awesome. Yes, absolutely. That'll be there. But tell, <laughs> okay. us, tell us the story behind this. Well, you know, Pelotonia, it, it's something that uh, here in Columbus started about 12 years ago. Probably like you, I know you're doing triathlons now and, and things like that you've been involved with. I never was a bike guy. I, I thought, you know, you got to wear those shorts and you're, and, and I'm, <laughs> I'm watching this and I'm like, I don't know about this. But as we've gotten, you know, you get older in your, your life and you, you get through, at least me, you know, my, my son's now 18. I coached him early in his, his life through all different sports, even basketball, which is funny. Um, and one of my good friends would give, give a story on that, Ed, um, of how I taught people to do a, a, th a free throw. It was bad. I was not a basketball guy. So I think <laughs> I did to the, taking a charge this. or diving for a loose Yeah, ball. I wasn't doing this. I was doing guy. this. Yeah, I was like, ah. So anyway, Pel getting back to Pelotonio, it's been around for 12 years. I had a chance to, one of the, the co-founders um, and really instrumental guys, 
I coached his son in lacrosse for the local rec program of lacrosse because we were a lot of dads that didn't know lacrosse. Fortunately, we had a, a leader that played lacrosse at Ohio State, so it helped us. But they've raised, you know, 2019, I think last year, um, they did $23 million. It, it raised for cancer research. As a whole, if you look at the 12 years, I think it's $208 million. And 100% of that goes towards cancer research. So the focus has been um, the James Cancer Center within uh, here at Ohio State, Ohio State University, uh, the Wexner Center. Uh, medical center. Um, awesome. But it also, it, they've done a thing this year where they're going to um, separate some of this this funding to go to COVID crisis, the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And it's such a unique thing. Um, this year uh, is my first year, but I'm, I'm riding with guys that have done this for two or three years. We're in a Peloton. A Peloton is uh, where you see, if you're watching a race, uh, you know, you go back to uh, the Tour de France, Mm-hmm. Um, you see guys and they're positioning themselves and why there's a team is because the person at the front is taking kind of the wind and you get behind the guy and, and you're, and that person's called a puller and you learn this so that people behind can get their legs and, and so forth. So you work as a team. This year is unique because of COVID. They're not right. doing the typical, hey, you know, everybody starts at once and the big pomp and circumstance. So they're doing a virtual meeting that you do anything from biking, walking, anything to raise awareness for cancer. And mm-hmm. I think all of us, uh, and I heard, you know, a little bit about your, your family through your dad's mm-hmm. podcast about uh, your mom and, and going through, you know, I think we've all been touched by uh, cancer in some way or yes. fashion. What's really neat about this, uh, there are three dates that are going to be on the back of the jerseys that we're creating. And one is a, a childhood friend that my, my buddy Frank lost, one of his college roommates. And then um, the other is the mother, um, or excuse me, the father of uh, you know the, the gentleman, the orthodontist that uh, is leading the, the Peloton. And then the third is uh, my stepmom that uh, passed that I've gotten to know later in life through my dad. And right. in, in working in the industry too, we, we work with a lot of uh, oncology companies that have products out there. I've worked in breast cancer. I've worked in ovarian cervical cancer um, in terms of working with companies that, that you know help that, that area. I wanted to get, be a part of it. I wanted to um, get on board and in, in, we're going to do, I think, over 50 miles is, is our goal. We've already hit 40. Talked about being on the bike seat for that long. It is hard. Oh, you, it, you, it got, is, you have the padded shorts though, right? I got the padded shorts no, now. Good. I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not so macho that I can't do that. But, it, it, yeah. uh, you know, it's important. And, and we're going to fundraise to, uh, you know, give that money. 100% of it goes towards, you know, this foundation, this organization. We don't always timestamp podcasts, but we need to timestamp this one. What is it this, that you'll be doing your Pelotonia ride? It's going to be August 15th. Great. August so be, 15th. By the time this podcast drops, it'll be awesome. It'll be a few weeks. So we'll have your link, your fundraising link, the information on there, and they can find out more That'd about it. Great. Yeah, but kudos to you. That's awesome. I mean, riding 50 miles, yeah. sitting in place is not is not <laughs> the uh, most enjoyable the way to spend a few hours, but so, so rewarding. And you're right. So many lives have been, have been touched by cancer. So I think that's great work. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And as we sit here and we start to wrap up, I... You know, you and I talk about our kids a lot when we when we connected, and I have so many friends that reach out to me, knowing what I do and knowing what I've done, asking for advice. When kids are graduating from college, or kids just received their masters, or they're looking yeah. to make a career transition. They're in their mid to upper twenties. They're looking to make a move. What advice, as people begin to build their career, okay? Yes. What advice would you give them? Uh, climbing, I don't want to say climbing the corporate ladder because you and I have both identified there's different things that go into the meaning behind why they want to make a move. 
but could you give three or four bits of bits of advice? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's, it's neat. You said that I, there are a lot of young kids that I'm talking to that are coming out of college. A lot of times I'll, I'll get contacted by somebody, uh, especially I've made a connection with uh, lacrosse community. So I'll talk to athletes in lacrosse right now because my son's been involved with it. I was certified in, in U.S. lacrosse. Again, never thought. I, I wish lacrosse was around growing up. It's it. such a cool sport. Yeah, yeah it's, the offenses run like basketball. It's like soccer, pitball, and hockey. Kind of, yeah. you know, it's it's a neat sport. Now I've never but seen anyways, it, but I heard indoor lacrosse is just brutal. I heard guys it, it, pound on each other. Yeah, it's uh, box lacrosse. Yeah, yeah, box lacrosse. Uh, you know, box lacrosse came from Canada, where uh, in the winters, what they would do, they'd cover the ice. And they'd have a bunch of hockey players playing lacrosse because lacrosse is big, you know, big up there. And those are some of the most coveted players to get recruited. Like if you look at Ohio State's program in college lacrosse, a lot of Canadians play uh, because of learning how to box. You have a smaller net. Uh, it is more physical. It's a smaller court or, or um, field in a sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, my son did that. I mean, it was it was awesome. Um, the kids that play box lacrosse in the spring lacrosse program, you can tell. Yeah, because they're cool. more physical, they have the best stick skills and hand-eye coordination. It, it's amazing. I mean, the goal is probably one-third of what a lacrosse goal is in the field. It's amazing. And ironically, my son played goal. He, he plays D, but he wanted to play goalie. He wore all these pads. You look like the Michelin man, and you're stopping <laughs> these. It's it's so different from out, outdoor. But anyway... Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah I'm it, sorry. I took you off on a tangent there. That was my, bad, but, uh, yeah, we can, yeah. But advice, what advice would you give? Oh, right. Yeah. So, so anyway, the advice, uh, you know, I guess my, my tangent there, um, deal a lot with kids. I also, I find out that I have a pull with athletes, um, uh, because of being an athlete, I look for that. One of the advice I would say for, let's say a new grad, um, right now you're in COVID-19. This is tough. Think about that. I mean, we got so many people out of work right now. You know, that have skills, that have experience. These new grads are competing with all those people that have that. But number one, I mean, make sure right now the vehicle where a lot of recruiters look at is, I mean, LinkedIn has really changed recruiting since 2004. Prior to that, we would do it a different way. LinkedIn really gives you a connection. Um, it's a brand. It brands you. So make sure that you have a LinkedIn page. You know, update that. Really check it. Make sure that you don't have any Grammatical errors. Uh, look at the picture. I mean, make it a professional picture. Don't put a picture of you on Saturday night out with your buddies. Uh, that's not going to get it. You know, you, you got to really think about this. I think the the other thing in the COVID right now, um, think about the areas if you are, for example, coming out of a business program and you know, maybe you're not sales. Maybe you want to do marketing. Look things outside of maybe what your mindset is. Get out of your comfort zone. Think about other areas. Uh, and this would apply to anybody out there with skills, maybe not a new grad, uh, Ed. You know, think about um, what you can accomplish out there, areas that maybe you never thought of for a job. You know, that could be a business. It could be, uh, I think COVID-19 has created also a lot of creativity and it's created, an, you know, people are really reflecting on, on their career. I'm in a job. I've been here for 10 years. Maybe I don't do something different. Think about those things right now. But, but going back to advice, I guess, with a new grad, you know, LinkedIn updated really get your resume. Your resume is a way to get your foot in the door, but it's important because it's the the first thing that people ask for is a resume. That will be important. So LinkedIn resume, and then really research. If you know that you want to be a part of a company, make sure to do your homework. Obviously, a lot of things right now, Ed, people apply online, you know, there's postings and so forth. 
I think what you've got to do is old school. This is, you know, we used to call it pounding the bricks, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. You've got to find a connection uh, in that company. If there's somebody that you know that works there, yeah. your, your father, your mom, your aunt, your, your sister, whoever, find a name, you know, reach out to that person. LinkedIn makes it a little easier now. You can ping that person. Make sure to introduce yourself. Let them know what you're looking for. That can go a long way. And then I, I think, you know, what we used to call it was informational interviews. You know, try to, if you know that you absolutely want to be in healthcare, for example, do some informational interviews. You know, talk to folks out there. Um, you know, if you know that you want to be in women's healthcare and that's what your passion is because you want to help women, you know, breast cancer, any of those things, go talk to a rep. Find a rep that sells for one of the top women's healthcare companies, uh, for example, Boston Scientific or I mean, it could be Natera, it could be any of these um, diagnostic companies out there as well. You know, let them know you're in, you know, for example, in Chicago, find out who the reps are in Chicago, ping them, see if they'll meet you for a cup of coffee, virtually meet you, you know, now is what we're going to have to do or, and really get to know what they do. Find out more because a lot of times too, reps in the field, if they want to be in sales, they're getting a little bit of a kicker bonus to get somebody hired to their team. I compete against that, but, you know, a lot of times you hear internal referrals, but I I think that's a way for new grads or folks that want to change industries, Mm -hmm. really do your homework, know everything you can about that company and also find out about the competitors, you know, just like you would going, taking it back to sports, you know, you want to know that team you're playing against, but you got to know your own team uh, and you got to know how it works and it functions. So you as an individual have to know yourself and know your strengths and weaknesses and then get to know those individuals out there with those companies that you want to be a part of. And then how about this? And we'll close with this. How important yeah. it is for these young folks, or even just folks looking to make some career transitions to continue to invest in yourself and work on personal growth. How significant is that? Absolutely. Uh, it is so important. Um, and, and I think uh, Ed, with what's happening now, some of the vehicles like LinkedIn, I mean, over this uh, COVID crisis, they've done a great job. You know, I think you had somebody on one of your podcast too. Maybe it was connected to LinkedIn because I think they were based out of Chicago at the time. There's opportunities now uh, virtually that you can do. There are coaching sessions virtually. I mean, obviously, you know, what you do, Ed, in, in terms of leadership training and keynote speaking, if you're a candidate, get involved with that, you know, really see what's out there. There's a lot of books out there. I mean, there's some great books that I look at. And again, I reflect back to athletics. A lot of it are out there, but you always want to challenge yourself. You want to, you know, if you know there's an area of skill set that you're, you're really weak on, do a podcast or do a video a webinar to get better. We are doing that. I mean, we have some of the new recruiters in the office. We are um, you know, going through a training. It's a lot. It's virtual. You know, we're doing, you know, videos and things like that. Just get some insight in the industry. Uh, I think as candidates out there, you, you've got to really take that upon yourself. You know, it could be in your profession. It could be in your life if you know that you want to, you know, have a, a healthier life. And I think in the podcast that your dad did on June 17th, it was great. You know, feed your mind. I was like, wow, yeah. that's exactly it. You know, we, we, as an athlete, you feed your body. How do you feed your mind? I, I would love that. I, I thought that was fantastic. And, and how do you do um, it? How do you feed it on a daily basis? That's the, how do you feed it? And one thing I learned too, which I really is your journaling, uh, the gratitude. You know, I, I sit down every day when I get here and uh, sometimes the night before, but I'll plan my day. And part of it is what I learned when I started here, you know, Ted, the, the VP Ted Koss taught me the Franklin Planner. And to this day, I still use a Franklin Planner, even That's though everything's yeah. electronic. I got an iPhone, I got 
Um, but I sit down and I, I go through A, B, C. What am I going to work on today? What am I going to focus on? And then one of the things I have, and this is really neat, on my uh, you know, little bookmark here, I've got um, you know, physical, uh, work out three times a week at least, uh, social, emotional, be positive, show gratitude towards others, uh, mental, read, right? How many people read anymore? You, 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 yeah. And then spiritual, pray. You know, and that's something uh, I, I think a lot of us have yes. is a faith, um, no matter what religion, you know, meditating, praying, um, you know, that's important. I, I think the, a foundation in that show parts. Really I love that. Well. That, po- that pops right into your Franklin planner and you look at that every single day. I look at every day. It's right there. Yeah. And that's old school. It's still to this day. I mean, I have the big binder. I, I leave here. And I take it with me and I bring it back every day. Still, I'm a very paper, I'm, I'm a visual guy, so I've got to have lots of stuff around. I'm not even going to show so. you my desk right now. I, <laughs> I, the power of writing things down is, yeah. you know, I still use the phone, I still use the, the computer, I still use all that stuff, but the power of yeah. writing it down is there's something it, about that. And, and you probably learned like I did, I think, uh, when you do X's and O's, right, in, in yeah. sports, I, I think, you know, I remember going back and going through all that in film, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm sure you watched a lot of film and showed a lot of film. I don't know if it's something in me, but I have, it's, this is weird too, because it might, it goes to the art background I have. I have sometimes a photographic memory. I remember things better. I can remember resumes of candidates that I've worked with. I remember where they worked. I can remember sometimes, you know, how long they worked there and, um, you know, their skill set. So it, it's helped me in my career. And I think a lot of it's from the visual, it's from writing things down. And yeah. for folks out there that don't do that, I, I think, you know, even the young folks in growing in their career, you know, that's important, you know, and your kids are probably iPads or what, whatever, oh. you know, kids using now. And yeah. it's important to really teach them how to write and good writing. And I was fortunate. Uh, I grew up around educators, so you had to write. And my grandmother had a, um, coming into her, her um, gosh, her house, she had an old, this is crazy, an old blackboard that she got from one of the schools. Yeah. And literally, we learned how to write on this blackboard. She was a teacher for 35 years. Uh, elementary school yeah, teacher. Yeah. Uh, my wife was a teacher, believe it or not, and just uh, left the profession back about three or four years ago and now works for the Nationwide Children's Hospital here in town as a coordinator of the fellowship program for the Heart Center. So, wow. Wow. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Right outside my office, we got a chalkboard there. We got a chalkboard in the basement. Yes. <laughs> which has suffered some damage from the uh, family soccer games in the basement. So, <laughs> talk about box lacrosse. We got a little bit of the family two-on-two soccer going down. My oh, wife, yeah. My wife is a soccer star. And, and yeah, so it, get, it gets a little physical down there. Uh, well, get your kids involved in lacrosse. Uh, you know, I know you're a basketball no, guy. No, we just had – yeah. I, I was with a bunch of my guys this past yeah. weekend, football guys, and we just had that conversation how we wish – because a lot of their sons played high school and college lacrosse. How we yeah. wish lacrosse would have been around because it's just such a phenomenal sport. Yeah, it's a fantastic sport. And you, it's interesting. Um, we had uh, a few kids, we had in particular, that played basketball. They were probably going to go all the way, potentially to win the States this year for my son's high school. And here, lo and behold, you know, they made it to their semi, uh, I think their regionals, and COVID hit. And they stopped it. This kid played lacrosse too, phenomenal. But he, he was a better lacrosse player because of basketball yeah it was really neat on the more of the defense side of it uh which was interesting so yeah, anyway yeah. Um, that's a whole other podcast about multi-sports <laughs> we could we could go we could talk well, that, it's so important but john thank you so much for this this was, yes, this was awesome yeah. i appreciate it great well, i'm hoping that uh you this would be useful for your your listeners and i really appreciate the opportunity to do this and um getting connected through mark hyderspock was awesome you know that little connection and i'd love to help you out in any way like i mentioned so 
Absolutely. You know, let me know. Absolutely. Thank All you. Right. We'll have everything. We'll have Pelotonia. We'll have it in the show notes. Um, and again, again, I know you love this podcast interview. So go to iTunes, rate and review this podcast episode. Let us know how we're doing. That helps us increase our reach. We're in over 40 countries right now. Let's just keep that going. And it's because of guests like you and John. Thank you again. Thank you for listening to The Athletics of Business. Be sure to give us a rating and review so we know how we're doing. For more information about the show, visit theathleticsofbusiness.com. Now, get out there, think, act, and execute at the highest level to unleash your greatness.